0: Welcome to the Coach Haas Podcast, powered by Sports Rehab PA, along with our sponsors.
1: Bioptimizers, optimizers Masszymes, 100% plant-based, naturally derived, best digestive enzyme blend out there right now. Highly concentrated with enzymes that digest proteins, starches, sugars, fibers, and fats. Helps to relieve indigestion, gas, bloating, and fatigue after meals. Take it with the meals to enhance the digestion and nutrient absorption. Also helps to improve recovery after hard exercise and hard efforts. So go to buyoptimizers.com and use code juicy for 10% off. Kaler Core Training Systems. The Kaler Core Column Training is the next step in the evolution of strength development, preventing training injuries, and elevating core fitness to maximize athletic performance. The Column Core is used to help remap the central motor patterns for functional movements to ensure that the movement quality is efficient before loads and demands. Helps to increase strength, flexibility, and speed by 16%, reduces training injuries by 75%, Works quickly in six short weeks. Helps to strengthen the core in the back. Use with multiple Olympic-level athletes, NCAA athletes, as well as pro athletes in the NFL and other sports. Visit KalerCore.com to find out more about the training systems. Also, check out FitLife and Sports Rehab, Ivy Rehab, for understanding the systems as well in this facility.
0: This is a podcast that was inspired by our curiosity in several areas, and some of those include sports performance, sports injury, team training, recovery nutrition, ACL rehab and recovery, personal development, and fitness entrepreneurship. We also have a 15-minute segment called The 15-Minute Juice. It will be a continuation of the podcast just in shorter clips, answering questions on physical therapy, Rehabilitation, return to play after injury, training, and all things fitness. It's fast, it's concise, it's juicy. Okay, welcome to another episode of the Coach Haas Podcast. Another Friday afternoon, sunny afternoon. Uh, Mike, how are you this afternoon?
1: Good man, good. Excited to bring on another guest this afternoon, getting some more knowledge.
0: Yeah, this is a, we've kind of put together this month has been really good so far. So this uh, you know, an, another ACL conversation, another surgeon that we get a you know, an opportunity. And you know, what's great about this is it, it's really starting to grow. Like this, like we were talking with surgeons, very regional, very local. You know, now we're now we're starting to get outside that circle a little bit more. Uh, so this is getting pretty, you know, pretty exciting. Um, you know, people are seeing what we're doing and they're interested in coming on and, and, and telling their story. I love continuing to learn more and more. I mean, uh, listen, I think you and I might be the only two that if we went to a bar and we ran into someone like this, that we could sit there and talk all night about ACLs and <laughs> our and yeah. our lives would be like, yeah. okay, bye-bye, you know, and, will, and, yeah. and they'd be leaving on us. But, you know, you, you and I would be nerding out on it. You know, so um, we really appreciate, you know, the opportunity to, to do this on a Friday. We appreciate his time. Uh, Dr. P, Dr. P is an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, he's he's recognized as a, as a sports medicine orthopedic surgeon in upstate New York. Um, he's going to get into a little bit more of his background. But I believe from what I read, he is the first surgeon to actually do the bare um, ACL in, in the United States. So I'll, I'll ask him that, you know, when we get into it, but I thought that that's what I read. Maybe I read that wrong, but that, that could be correct. So, and then I actually had the, the follow-up question to that would be, well, how do we know who's actually first, right? Like, where does that actually, like, how do we actually determine that? Like, we could go down, like, you know, in history, like, how do I know that I stuck the flag in? But anyway, we'll get to that. Dr. P, thanks for coming on to the show today.
2: Yeah, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. Uh, It's it's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: I was reading about you know your your whole your bio here, and I wasn't even going to you know begin to you know run. I mean, it's like three pages long. It's just it's it's incredible the knowledge that you have, and and so it's you know our honor to obviously you know have surgeons on like this. This is you know this is so cool. I just find orthopedic surgeons are almost like like carpenters. You know, they're good they're with covered. drills. They have hammers all the time. Sometimes they got to break out a saw. You know, so I'm curious. So you are you like are you handy around the house too?
2: Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about that today. It's funny because um, some of my staff members, you know, anytime there's something that needs to be done around the office and requires a screwdriver or a drill <laughs> or a saw or something, they automatically, for some reason, they they think, oh, um, you know. I, Doc doesn't know how to do this. I'll, I'll do it. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I do this in the operating room. I, I drill into people's bones. I use screwdrivers. I use mallets, hammers. I use saws. Uh, I also did a lot of, uh, my dad was, uh, a carpenter putting himself through law school way back when did construction. So I learned, you know, I, I've done all kinds of, uh, that type of stuff. Um, I don't have as much time as I used to to do that, but you know, I do it in the operating room. So, uh, yeah, it, it uh, my, my brother and my brother-in-law are big into woodworking and they always kind of exclude me from the conversation. And I'm like, I'm doing that on a bone guys <laughs> in the, in the operating room. So. Right.
0: Right. <laughs> we're doing this on live people here. Yeah, this is. So kind of get into a little bit of the background, how you got into it. I mean, maybe a little bit of a segue from like you were talking about, like you, you did this watching your dad. Do you think that that had anything to do with, with your background and, and deciding to go this way? You know, kind of give it Give us yeah, a and
2: background. Yeah, I like to fish, I like biology, so I like to kind of figure out how things work. So that was kind of one part of it. And then my dad's brother, my uncle John was a physician. He was the first Dr. Petropoly in the family. So uh, there's been a bunch of us after that, but he kind of inspired me and I always liked sports and sports medicine. So, you know, I told him I wanted to be a sports medicine doctor. And he's like, well, if you're going to be a sports medicine doctor, you have to be an orthopedic surgeon uh, because back then that's pretty much what it was. Uh, so that kind of made me decide to go into that. And when I went to medical school, my last rotation, I kind of made it on purpose. This way was, um, orthopedic surgery. So I tried everything else first and I liked quite a bit of things. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I, I did orthopedics last and then I did an elective right after that, my fourth year. And, you know, I fell in love with it because, you know, we can, people are broken and we can fix them. And that's like, that's awesome.
0: I was a medic in the Navy and I, um. I lied to my wife when I first met her and told her I was going to be an orthopedic surgeon because I was so in love with like watching, you know, because I worked in pediatric surgery and everyone's like, well, you were in the Navy, but I worked in a big hospital down in, in Portsmouth. And and then when I went to Puerto Rico, the hospital was was very tiny. So you had everything there. You had psych sure. along with general surgery yeah. along with orthopedics. But I just was always so you know blown away with the surgeons and and the same thing like we kind of talked about you know with with the hammers and 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 the saws and the drill. Like, it's just it was just so cool. And they just seemed to be the the cooler ones of all the doctors in the hospital too. The other ones just kind of you know, they, they just seem to be a little bit more engaging. So
2: but... I, I always thought they were, um you know, and I met when I first started meeting orthopedic surgeons, I thought they were happier, um, more satisfied, more job satisfaction. And I still think that's the case. I mean, again, you know, we, we can fix people and get them, get them better. And that's very, very re- rewarding. Um, as opposed to a lot of other positions, you know, they do a lot of great things, but if you can't get the, uh, the patient better that can be, that can wear on you after a while, by the way, thank you for your service, by the way.
0: Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So go ahead, go, go back in your background. I'm sorry. I didn't want to cut you off.
2: Yeah, no. Uh, so my uncle, um, you know, said you got, you, you need to be an orthopedic surgeon and uh, and I, I, I loved it. And you know, that's kind of, that's what I went into. Having said that, the three things that I, that I wanted to be in life were either a sports medicine, orthopedic surgeon, a rock star drummer, or a, pilot. So my eyes weren't good enough to be a fighter pilot. And my parents probably would have killed me if I um, went into, but if I put as much time into drumming or into, into flying, I'm sure I would be extremely good at either one. I'm not very good at drumming, but I still do it because I like it.
0: Oh, that's actually that's pretty awesome. funny. I've I've always wanted to get myself a drum set. I just never really had the the room to do it. So I've always thought about finding like one of them school rocks and just go in and just wail away you, you on can some put drums. Put in
2: that room right behind you. There, you're fine. Yeah, yeah. They you're would fine. love. They would love that, that room. Is that room's made for noise? So you're, yeah, you're
0: that really- is true. That is true.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was reading uh, a little bit more of your bio like earlier in the week, Doctor P, and uh, looks like you did have a lot of just. Like, extensive just background just moving around a lot. I know I did some stuff down with Dr. James Andrews. Um, that's just really cool because it's just uh, you know being able to get exposure to a lot of different you know just areas of, of things being done. And that's also why we like doing this podcast getting to hear different voices of all really around the kind of around the country if we can because technology allows us to do that to see how things are being done and to kind of find some of these uh, maybe unique things that not a lot of people know about. You know, so that's why. Um, I mean, I love the stuff you put on on LinkedIn. I mean, I even saw some of your. Uh, and we'll get into talking about this with some of your um, bare ACLs. It was uh, it was almost like what was it, forty weeks? And then you had one. There were two in the room. One yeah, was I uh, yeah. just saw it today, and just kind of yeah. talking about what you're doing with them. Uh, one had a meniscus tear, so it'd be really cool to talk about really? you know how that's yes, handled definitely. there. Absolutely. And um. Yeah, I mean, just really excited to hear about the stuff that that you know you're doing and, and what your practice focuses on and um you know some of like the specialty things going on.
0: Well is that I, I don't mean to cut you off. Is that was it 40 you. days or 40 weeks?
2: It's uh I, I just did it last year uh, out of the blue. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a good Catholic, but you mentioned Italian, et cetera. So, you know, Lent and I'm like, I'm just gonna do 40 days of of bear posts, you know, like 40 days in a row, just commit to it. Um, Not because I think I'll get to heaven that way, (laughs) but I just decided to do it. And then, you know, and then here it is again, a year later, and I decided to do it, you know, 2.0. So I think we're on day three uh, today, but uh, yeah, just 40 straight days of a post on bear, but we've done, even obviously after that, we we've done a lot of posts on that in particular. And uh, Joe, definitely I can uh, get into how I got into doing bears and all that stuff. And yeah, um, I, then,
0: I thought the 40 days was like, you were, you were talking to these athletes 40 days out of surgery. I didn't realize it was, you were just doing a post of 40 days.
1: Okay.
2: So yeah, 40 days in that a makes row. Sense.
1: Okay. okay.
2: Okay. Yeah. And uh, you know, Mike mentioned Dr. Andrews. So yeah, I was, I did my, um, or I did medical school and college. At, at Syracuse, so I bleed orange. And then I did my um, residency there, which was five years. So we really learned how to operate. Uh, we did a lot of surgery, uh, it was a great residency program, worked with Dr. Murray, who was one of the people who invented, you know, total knees. But then I was lucky enough to get uh, selected to go down to uh, Birmingham, Alabama, worked with Dr. Andrews and Kevin Wilk. I'm sure you all know yep, who he yeah. is, uh, amazing. Yeah, yeah. I learned, you know, just as much from Kevin and frankly, Dr. Clancy too, William Clancy. So. Uh, but Dr. Andrews is the GOAT, as y'all know, and he's just retiring, although I, I will see if he really does, um, but I just learned so much from him, and I learned, you know, um, Dr. Yoakum, uh, who passed away, unfortunately, but he used to take care of uh, the Dodgers and the Rams and all that stuff. He was out at Job, and Jove, I, and I saw him at a conference one time get up there and say, you know, Jimmy Andrews taught us more when not to operate than when to operate, mm-hmm. and I mean, Dr. Andrews did 20 25 surgeries a day so he could have done 50 100 a day if he wanted to and luckily he had someone like kevin who was you know is an amazing um you know doctor of physical therapy just an amazing uh person um who was able to rehab a lot of these people back from injury without surgery a lot of times um and he had a great team he's always had a great team and we worked really well i learned how to work as a team member you know, it didn't really matter what was at the letters after your name, you know, the ATCs, the PTs, the nurses, the coaches, uh, the, the fitness trainers, the agents, uh, the doctors, uh, primary care doctors, surgeons, you know, we all worked as an amazing team down there. And that's kind of what I brought up to my clinic. And I have, you know, the same thing. And I had one of my athletic trainers, um, said one time. He says, "You know, doctors—the only place I ever worked where the letters after your name don't matter." So I thought that was really cool because we wow. all just work as a team.
1: And I think what you just said there really highlights what our mission is. You know, uh, Joe and I met Joe as a patient of mine, and uh, I found out what he was doing. He was working with a lot of ACLs in the bridging the gap from post PT and back. Who was taking these athletes from, uh, you know, just physical therapy and teaching them how to. Get back to the sport related type stuff, the cutting, the pivoting, the time under tension, the fatigue, all this other stuff, even the nutrition, all these things, especially a lot of the stuff that we've talked about on multiple podcasts that, you know, just insurance companies just don't want to pay for, unfortunately, you know, right. they just don't see it's valuable, but the multi-discipline connection was huge. And that's why, again, we like doing this podcast because we want everyone to be on the same page and we get a lot of misinformation. This one said this, this one said that parents are confused, the kids confused the more we can align this, the more we can help the communities. And we really try hard to to reach out to, you know, coaches and trainers, but there is, there is ego there. Sometimes I'll email trainers from colleges and they say, no, we got it. We got this. We have that. We're good. And then, you know, unfortunately athlete reaches back out to me, knee is swollen, having pain, my range of motion's going down. I'm like, these shouldn't be, ha- this shouldn't be happening at this stage in the rehab or the return yeah. to sports stuff. I'm not sure what's going on there, but there's a disconnect. And I think when everyone can work together and they understand their lanes of discipline and, and, and you work with that, that can be very powerful. But we notice there's a lot of incongruity there. So I love that you said that. And that's why, you know, really curious to learn about more about how you're doing that with your practice because it is very powerful. And um, we're just seeing a lot of good results when that comes to, you know, alignment.
2: Yeah. And, you know, a lot of those a- athletic trainers at the schools you know, it's not their fault either. Cause they have so many athletes to take care of. Right. And yeah. then you know, they, they, they kind of fall through the cracks, but what you guys are doing, um, bridging that, you know, okay, the PT's done. And unfortunately you're right. Like, you know, I just saw someone that we're going to perform a bear on and she's only gets 20 PT visits for the whole year. <laughs> she's going to run out of that. right? And then, you know, we, we luckily we have a, we have a we have a fitness uh, thing called B-Fit, which is a, a fitness portion, which is a bridge, kind of like you're doing there, Joe. You know, getting them from when they're done with PT back yeah. on the that that's a huge, huge, that's a huge stage.
0: Even even when you have a PT that does a really good job, for instance, with Mike, he understands that there's another level. Now, again, what happens is you have to you have to sell yourself as a strength coach to the physical therapist. And that's kind of, I mean, it was the irony was I had my knee busted up and I was in there seeing him and we were just talking about, and I thought, well, this is kind of cool. Like I don't actually mind being hurt because I've been here kind of networking with another physical therapist. And, right. and, you know, we're looking at it four years later what it's kind of turned into, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it's been just such a great opportunity to be able to work, you know, um, with, with a team. And like Mike was saying, like, when you can see the multidiscipline and what we're trying to do, because when these athletes were coming to me, they were being cleared by a surgeon like you, they were being passed on, you know, uh, from a physical therapist like Mike. And then they were coming to me and I'm like, you're actually, you, you know, like you still need more. And then it was the convincing the parent, like, listen, I'm not fear mongering you, but like, yeah, right. you, you've you cleared, you know, what the surgeon needs to see. You've cleared what PT needs to see. But you're not ready to get back to the field yet of what you're trying to do. And, Mike, how many times have we have listened to people say um, sometimes the body on these athletes is just not built for the sport that they're playing. And, yeah, and right. they're getting their bodies beat up and they're bouncing back. And, you know, we're on these different pages. We have our own Facebook page you know, and, and we see it's these horror stories of, you know, one, two, and three, you know, h- how many times can, can someone have an ACL surgery?
2: Well, I did a, I have, there's actually, I did a YouTube uh, video on that, but I mean, it, I, when I was down in Alabama, I saw somebody who was on their fourth one. So, I mean, you can keep going, but each one you have is, you know, is not going to, the results are not going to be as good, obviously. And that's actually kind of where the bear comes in. You mentioned that, you know, bridge enhanced ACL restoration or repair. So we're actually the coolest thing ever. Like we can grow back in ACL. Like that's like unheard of. Um, and I was always taught medical school, residency, fellowship, you know, you can't grow back in ACL, you can't repair it. Uh, maybe you can repair one if it's just torn off the femur and you're, and you're lucky and you can reattach it. Um, but you just you have to make a new one. You have to reconstruct it. And I just knew there's some way to do it. And you know Martha Murray, I want to give her one thousand percent credit. She is the one up in Boston, Boston Children's, who developed this spare implant, which looks like a packing peanut. It's type one bovine coll- collagen, means it comes from a cow, it's purified, and it looks like a packing peanut. It's very hydrophilic, meaning obviously it absorbs fluids, so it absorbs the blood. And when the ACL tears, you guys know all this, but to your listeners, you know, it's like a rope inside the knee and it tears and it's kind of shredded and it's flopping around in there and there's fluid in there and it can't meld back together just because it's kind of flopping around. Not to mention our knees hate having blood inside them. They, you know, blood, your body only likes blood in the blood vessels. Anytime it gets anywhere else, it's not too happy about it. Sometimes we use that to our advantage to restart the healing process, like for PRP and things like that. But in general, our bodies don't like blood other than in, into a joint. So then the joint secretes these enzymes which dissolve the blood. And so even if you sew that, you know, and the, I think the ancient Greeks tried to sew the ACL back together, which had to be crazy with a fishhook or something. But anyway, <laughs> they sew sew it back together, and then the body dissolves that clot that you need in between. Like an MCL is outside the knee; it's extraarticular. It's right pretty much underneath the skin. It, it, you know, ankle ligament, for instance, it'll tear and there might be a gap there, but it fills in with a blood clot. Um, and then the, the, that blood clot acts like a bridge, just like you acts as a bridge from the PT to the field that acts like a bridge and the cells, the, the native ligament cells, blood vessels, nerves, proprioceptive nerves, which are obviously you guys know position sense, extremely important, preserving those. So those grow back across. And it heals. Now the MCL or an ankle ligament, it might heal a little bit loose, but it's almost always going to heal. They almost never need surgery on the first try. Um, So if you keep spraining them over and over again, sometimes they do. Whereas the ACL, that clot never, it dissolves away or the, if you sew it together, or it's just never going to meld back together because it's flopping around in there. So she developed this implant that, you know, I'll simplify it, but you basically sew it in between the two torn ends of the ACL. And it will dissolve because you don't want it to stay in there forever, but it takes eight weeks to dissolve. So you put the patient's own blood in it and you create basically this blood clot that's going to stay there for eight weeks. And the ligament, the ACL knows what to do. It knows how to heal and it grows back across there. And by eight weeks, the collagen implant is dissolved, but the the fibers have grown back. Now they're still weaker um, and you still got to let them reorganize and remodel and all that, but... Bottom line is we can grow back an ACL, which is like fascinating. So I absolutely did not do the first one ever. Dr. Martha Murray and that team did in Boston. Um, I did the first uh, FDA indicated um, um, non research study one. If you want to get technical, so it was it was a, a an ACL. They have to be fourteen and older uh, to be FDA approved. You can still do it younger, be off label, which I've done. But it was someone who was. 16 at the time or 17, and um, it was within 50 days, and I was in. It was the first once once they released it uh, commercially, because I tried to get in the um, trials and they were filled. And she said, as "Soon as it comes out commercially, we'll call you," which they did. And uh, then I did one. I think somebody did one in a in a in a person non FDA indicated one before that as well. So I I'm the first one who did that particular category but yeah first or second commercial one in the country and um but not the first one ever because Dr. Um, Murray's team did all those when they did the bear one and the bear two studies uh but really cool uh stuff and as far as the rehab goes there uh Mike that's why that first eight weeks is a little bit slower with a bear because you're actually trying to get you got a scab there you don't want to pick at the scab so it's a little slower, but after eight weeks, it pretty much catches up. And I don't know how much you guys want to talk about that part of things, but that's that's the difference um, between the the rehab. It's a little slower the first eight weeks, but after that, it catches right up.
1: So we had Doctor yeah. Shaw McMillan on our podcast yeah. previously, and he actually came on and gave um, a regional lecture to some of our, our clinics. Awesome. And he was you know, he was talking about that. So we are we are familiar with the bear now, but it's very cool to see. And just hear from you know different surgeons doing it, what they're saying. And and it's really, you know, even in the pig study he showed in, in you know, in the angle of what, how the bear goes versus when you have to drill a new angle. I remember years ago listening to surgeons talk about the skill of trying to get that angle. And if you do it, you know, not at the right angle, it could cause it to be tight, could stretch the graft, all that type of stuff. I think the skill obviously from surgeons is getting better now, but the questions I had was when I'm trying to explain to some of these kids that are feeling really great at three months and they want to run, they want to do this, even though I know their mechanics are not there and we're still worrying. on just jumping and landing on one leg. Just getting them to understand why the graph kind of goes dormant again, if you kind of talk about that. And then does the bear ACL ever go into a phase like that where it's almost kind of weaker or something? Um, in t- in terms of that, and then uh, there's another question that'll come to me. Let me just answer those real quick.
2: Well, with an ACL reconstruction, you're right. The second you put that graft in there, it's as it's about as strong as it's ever going to be, and then it will it will drop down in strength um, over the course of the first couple of months, and then it will start to um, there's there's a graph that shows that, but it will start to recellularize, revascularize, and it will get stronger again, and it will probably end up. About eighty percent of the strength of what it was when you put it in there. So it depends on what graft you're using. If it's a bone patellar tendon bone, quad, hamstring, etc., but it could be, you know, it could be one point five times as strong as an ACL when you put it in there, or two times as strong. And then if you, it, by the time it gets that eighty percent back, it's close to being about the same strength. So. Um, So early on, you can move that an ACL reconstruction a little bit faster because that graft is pretty darn strong, and our fixation is so good nowadays that we can be confident that it's it's fixated. That you can move them a lot faster, whereas the 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 bear, it's you know it's it's basically a scab in between there, and it takes eight weeks for that to kind of reconnect. So that's why we go a little bit slower in the beginning, but the bear just goes up, 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 up as far as strength goes. So at three months or four months, it's not going to go down. It's actually going up, but it's the same thing. It's still weak. It's still not remodeled. Um, they still need to get from double leg to single leg, you know, and really master single leg before they even start running and all that stuff. Yeah.
1: That's... Now, we also, uh, that... I have one more question here, Joe. No, go ahead. Also, go ahead. It was about really the, we were learning that the sensory fibers of an ACL graph don't fully, adhere to that bone to about a year mark. Now, a lot of these kids are hearing nine-month mark, return to play, this standard here. um, You know, and I keep telling them, I'm like, remember, I know you're talking about non-contact, but we've seen kids tear ACLs just dribbling a soccer ball or just running and pop, it goes. So I know you're excited to get back to non-contact, but remember, a lot of the injury happened non-contact. So that's why when I'm progressing them with cutting and pivoting, a lot of them, again, don't have that that confidence yet or they're like, wow, I haven't done this in a while. Or we're trying to show them. And remember, they never were taught these things. They were just doing survival mode to get this done. So now we're teaching them how to do these things properly, body awareness, and it's hard for them. And I'm like, I'm not even introducing a ball until you could do this even around these tones or we use a piece of technology called the quick board. You could do that with like less yeah. errors and less fatigue. Yeah. Um, and then explaining that, like all, aside from all the mechanics, the fibers aren't 100% adhered into that bone there yet. So, like, they, they were putting athletes on force plates and saying that they naturally wouldn't bear enough weight on that involved side. Um, and then, you know, even sometimes seeing that when we start getting some of the kids moving, we notice that even it was the non-operative side, that actually was the problem. I, mean, I have a kid in here playing, uh you know, lacrosse, and his, the side he tore, that quad, is twice the size as the other one. It's his pivot leg. And yeah. no one picked up on that. But, yeah. um, is there something like that uh, with with the bear? The I assume that the sensory fibers when it heals, does there a delay or is it like once it connects that it'll be good? Because the um obviously the ends are are, are Mother Nature's anatomy. Is there something like with yep. that is, uh, compared to a graft?
2: So I think to answer the 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 last part of that question, yeah, those proprioceptive fibers grow back and they are, I mean, they're the normal fibers. We don't we try not to touch the Uh, you know, femoral or the tibial insertion at all. Um, You drill your tunnels, which are just for the sutures, just much smaller, like 2.8 millimeters, as opposed to a 10 or 11 millimeter tunnel where with a reconstruction, you're basically drilling right through where those fibers originate from, from the bone. And they never do with an ACL reconstruction, they never come back completely normal. Um, So the proprioception is never as normal with an ACL reconstruction as it is with the bear and the bears do feel more normal. If you look at the studies, the patients felt that they felt more normal and they felt more normal early on. Now that is a little scary too, because they feel more normal early on. So yeah. the first eight weeks you're going slower in about three months, they're feeling like even better than an ACL reconstruction would feel. And you're pulling them back cause they're still not as the, the ligament's still not as strong but those nerves, they do reconnect. And once they reconnect, that feels a lot more normal. Um, then the other thing is we know that if you do an ACL reconstruction, you're just as likely to tear your opposite knee as you are to tear the ACL reconstructed knee. We don't know if that's just because you're prone to it, which some of it might be. It also is exactly what you said. Also, maybe the proprioception doesn't come back in that reconstructed knee. Now you're relying on the other one more because they also found in the bear studies, bear one and two, that. Yes, you can still tear the opposite knee, but you're a lot less likely to tear your opposite knee if you've had a bear than you are if you had an ACL reconstruction. So it probably does have to do with those proprioceptive nerve fibers come back in the operated knee and you're not, you're not, um, you know, relying as much on the other knee. Um, So there's something to it. We don't know 100% for sure. Um, and, And we do know also, you know, like you said, mentioned the pig study, um, you know, that's the holy grail, I think, with the bear. That's why I think it's the coolest thing ever, because we know you tear your ACL, you got a 50% chance of getting arthritis within four or five years. If you tear your ACL and you undergo an ACL reconstruction, it's going to be, you know, you got an 85, 95% chance it's going to restore your stability. It's not 100. Some people re-tear um, or reinjure it, but you still have a 50% chance of arthritis, it just pushes it out 12 to 14 years. So if you're a 14 year old girl, and you tear your ACL, by the time you're in your late 20s, you got a 50% chance of getting arthritis. And you, wow. we see, whereas in the pig studies, what they did was they, you know, they cut the ACL, let a group run wild, they cut the ACL, did a reconstruction, let them run wild, and then they cut the ACL and did a bear on the third group and let them run wild when they harvested them. And I always say they had a big barbecue, but I don't think they did. <laughs> But the the group that had the ACL cut, they developed arthritis. The group that had the ACL cut and underwent the reconstruction also developed arthritis, whereas the group that had the bear did not develop arthritis, which is, to me, if we can, if that actually is going to happen in humans, that's going to be the holy grail because that's the key. Uh, I've been in practice 25 years, a little over that. And, you know, people who I've done, did ACLs on 25 years ago almost all of them have arthritis now. And that's actually why now I'm doing more of the bone marrow cells, the stem cells, the PRP, the, all that stuff, the knee repair, not knee replacement stuff. But I think the ultimate knee repair, not knee replacement, is repairing the ACL so you don't get the arthritis, so you don't need the any of the treatments, let alone a knee replacement down the road. And so looking at things, none of this is published yet, but at six years, it's kind of looking like the trend is that the bears are having less arthritis. We'll know more at ten years. Mm-hmm. This bear out is I think nine years, and he just ran the Boston Marathon last year. So we'll know more when we, you know, in a few years, if if, if it really is, if this bear prevents arthritis or significantly lessens it, and if that's the case, like if, for me it's a no brainer anyway. If it was my right. kid, or me or anybody, I would do that first because you're a step ahead. God forbid you injure it; you can still do a reconstruction. If you do a reconstruction you got the arthritis risk and all that. But then if you tear that and you have a revision, revisions aren't as good, you know? So um, you're kind of starting a step ahead with the bear, but to Mike's point, you gotta, like, they want to go. And they hear nine to 12 months, they always focus on nine. I'm almost thinking about not even saying nine to 12 anymore because it's usually 10 or 11 at the earliest anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the earliest, so.
1: Well, I mean, just from what we're seeing, uh you know we're trying to build up especially like some of these 11 to 12 year olds that are tearing ECLs. they're still growing they're still developing they've had no exposure because the organized sport is just beating them over the head with just sport 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 they can't do these movements so i'm spending so many sessions teaching a lunge teaching ankle mobility teaching core control you know i can't load up a squat because when they squat they're arching their back they're getting back pain even just body weight movement and then when we do the bfr protocol I mean, I'll use BFR through different segments throughout the routine. It's not just one exercise. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that challenges them. So I just want to see, what do you like when you're doing like 90 bodyweight squats under fatigue, the form starts breaking down. Well, it can't add weight yet, you know? And so we're spending all this time and, you know, Joe and I have worked with just a lot of different ways of using just other things to try to get them to do stuff at home, which is videos and just, you know, um, using like, you know, some type of like hybrid program, like PT and then some, you know, strength thing where, all right, we're going to do this, but maybe on the strength coach day, you do upper body stuff because somebody's, you know, especially the females, you know, they're doing some stuff. Their, their arms are weaker because no one ever taught them how to do a pull-up and, a, and and push-ups and stuff. And they're more than capable of doing these things, Absolutely. you know. Um, yeah. We had a couple of female uh, specialists, um, pelvic floor and performance on our podcast previously to touch on the basis of that. Just, you know, teaching females that they can do these things. And you want, you want to go play lacrosse, you should be able to use, use your arms and do these things. But... It's just, it, it it's a long process of trying to get them to build it up. And by the time you almost get a solid foundation, you're right. We're almost at like just eight months and we haven't even done any crazy agility and then anything with contact, cut and pivot and let me hit you and see what happens when you land on that leg. So it's, it is, it's, it's a long, it's a long road, but it's just very encouraging to hear you as a surgeon saying that because they do, they go to that visit and they see that and they say, I'm cleared. And it's like, but we need to talk about what that means a little more.
2: Yeah, I think I'm I'm fortunate because I have a PT department right in my office and I have since I think about 2006. So, and they're great, they're amazing. Like, you know, I mean, obviously without them, I wouldn't get the results that I get, um, but I have the advantage, like you saw in the video, I can walk right over there and uh, watch what's going on. And I mean, it always scares the heck out of me to watch, you know, um, hop day or, you know, like when they're doing the hop testing, but you got to, you got to pass it. You got to pass that. You got to do that. You got to, there's criteria and it's not just time. There's criteria. It's both.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think that that's something that we've battled so much too with criteria and, and and the time thing. I think Dr. Seward's talked about that before, Mike, you know, and, and that's what we see is that, you know, Oh, okay. We're at 12 to 16 weeks, you know, we should be running. Well, no, if we go back to what you said before, let's establish, bilateral landings, right? Let's establish single leg landing impact control. Then we can start to see what you look like maybe in an anti-gravity or the the machine that Mike has now, which is what the light light speed, Mike?
1: Yeah. So we got rid of the, um, we were using the alter G's I'm not going to knock the company on a podcast, gotcha. but the problem was there. They are pricey. They're cumbersome. They're big. Uh, you're upright and there's the bubble and, yeah, I'm trying to get a lot of the of the younger kids in there. They're like, you know, this is weird. It's kind of fun to balance in it, but mechanical issues, they weren't reliable. Um, they can't really get good feedback because they can't see see themselves or feel as weird, you know. The light speed is like a squat rack that slides over. You can put it over the assault runners, which I put a LinkedIn post about the assault runner, okay. um, and just retraining running, and we're getting really good results with that because the curved treadmill. Really forces them to hit, and they have to be awareness of their striking. Some of them will start taking off on it because they don't realize how much they overstride, or they have no control. And it takes a lot of skill, you know, as a runner, to be able to hold a steady pace. You look at some of your best marathon runners; they stay a steady pace, and I was like, oh, it's so effortlessly. But they, you know, they do that. I mean, their recovery runs very easy, very controlled, and their cadence and you know their stride is just just synchronous, just like that. So teaching them how to control themselves on the curved treadmill, it really helps them develop running because they never learned this before. They're just spreading up and down the field, doing whatever. But the light speed is basically a harness that goes around them and lifts them up. And you could unload them anywhere probably up to like 40 pounds or so. You know, at some point, if you unload them too much, they're not getting that that biofeedback. So you need to touch the ground a little bit but allows them to kind of do that with less ground reaction force and just learn some of the running. And then we slowly drop them down while we're also working on that single leg strengthening, you know, split split stand strengthening, you know, um, bounding drills and shuttle runs. And we're kind of just building up these different skills and these different tiers and then getting them to meet in the middle where now we can start working on continued running, you know, um, build up the shuttle runs, you know, and then start going for that because they hear they're cleared to jog. They're going to go out and they're going to do a three-mile jog. And if you see that on the mechanics that we see, I mean, Joe's seen it. They come in Achilles pain, plantar fascia, um, knee joint pain, back pain. And we're like, oh man, you know, so. How,
0: how far, how far out from the actual injury can someone be before deciding to actually still get the bear?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the, if you, Traditionally, people say 50 days, but that's kind of there's some science there. It's not I, I originally thought it was um, FDA, but part of it has to do with this. It's not FDA, It's not it has anything to do with the FDA. It has to do with uh, in the bare one and two studies, everybody was had their surgery within 50 days, actually 45, I think it was. And then there's some studies that show there's one study definitely that shows that um, uh, after about 50 days, the ACL kind of gives up or ligaments kind of give up. If they can't reconnect, I mean, they're going to send cells, they're going to send blood vessels, they're going to send nerves, but if they can't reconnect, the body's going to say, I'm not going to waste my time and energy on that. And then the ends will atrophy. So if it's 100% torn in two, by 50 days, it's starting to it's starting to atrophy, not all the time. Um, but if what I've also found, which is... I, I, the one thing I've really learned going in and doing these, uh, bears is, you know, you go in and you don't want to disrupt any fibers, even if there's 10% or 5% or 20% or 50% of the ACL left, keep it. You don't want to take any of it out. You want to leave every native fiber you can possibly have there. And then sew the implant in between the torn fibers. So, um, in the past, if their knee was had, they had a pivot shift, it didn't really matter how much fibers were left there. You just went in there and started shaving. So I never paid attention as much. And I probably thought more were 100% torn. But if you, there's not a ton of 100% torn ACLs that I see, a lot of them have some fibers left. Um, and so if you have some fibers left, I think they're, th- it's going to stay alive. So you can get past that 50 days. Wow. Also, sometimes it does, it's within a sheath it's within the ligament and mucosum. So if it stays within that sheath and kind of scars to the PCL, that stump on the tibia will stay alive. And you need, all you need is about a centimeter to get your stitches into. So I, I mean, I think of this one lady, she's was 58, she toured skiing and, Um, she had two trips of a lifetime. She had paid thousands of dollars for travel all over the world. She was going to go on these two trips. So she couldn't have the surgery, but she really wanted the bear. And so she got back and it was like 11 months later and we got the MRI and it looked like there was still a stump there. And, um, I had two or three bears that day and one was a kid and he was within 50 days and his was like shredded. I was able to get the stitches in, but it was a little difficult on her she had a nice stump remaining and it had scarred to the, uh, PCL. So I just kind of freed it up and got the stitches in there. We um, all, I also used, um, and this is what I want to talk about and ask you guys too, if you're seeing any ways that we can speed that, cause you know, pe- patients want to speed this stuff up. They want to get back sooner. And when I came out of my fellowship, I mean, we were, we were sometimes getting people back within three or four months. I, I'll explain why I think that was, but then, you know, the pendulum is swung back to nine to 12 months. And some people even think people aren't ready till two years after an ACL reconstruction. Mm -hmm. Um, and so are you guys seeing anything that speeds up, whether it's laser or bone marrow cells, you know, stem cells, PRP. So on her, I did soak her implant in, um, bone marrow, uh, concentrate, and we also used PRP. And I think it made a huge difference. I have about five bears that we did that on. And I have another several that we just did the PRP on. I think the bone marrow adds a lot more. This is not scientific. It's not, it's not, we didn't study it yet. I don't want to claim, and it is off label to do it that way, but I do think it makes a huge difference when you use cells. So I think in the long run, I think that is going to speed things up finally, because we, we really haven't sped anything up. We've gotten better at doing an ACL. Now we're able to repair one, but we haven't really sped up getting people back to sport. And so my question to you guys is, what do you guys, are you seeing people using laser? Are you seeing PRP? Are you seeing bone marrow concentrate? Are you seeing adipose? Are you seeing anything that you think is speeding things up? Or do you think, do you have anything that you envision, you know, will speed this up eventually? Because that's that's also kind of the holy grail, getting the athlete back quicker. That's what everybody wants.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, I'll, I'll go first here, so I know you've probably got a ton going there. Um, I would say that, you know, what I've seen with the laser, there's been different lasers out there. I'm actually, we're going to bring um a, a, the owner on from the Phoenix Thirolase in the next couple of weeks and, and talk to him about some of that as well. But I don't see that as much as Mike would see that. Um, but what I would say on my end, as far as the strength and just like we had that conversation last week with Erica, I think that every athlete, it really depends. You're right. We can have somebody maybe in that nine or 10 month mark returning, but typically that's going to be someone that's had a strong foundation already. And then that's a hard conversation to have with your, you know, your, um, your potential D one female soccer player, but her legs are as big as this pen in my hand, and she's never really done any strength training before. She's just naturally gifted as far as the soccer ability, but strength wise, she's not there. That's going to be a tougher conversation to have with that parent because that parent's already thinking, like, well, we got to get back for the D1 scholarship, you know? So, yeah, I wish there were ways to do that. And I think that where that probably speeds up the process would be with, with you, Mike, right. And doing some of the PRP and the laser and, and things like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, here's what I would say, cause we'll get into the nutrition part after. Cause I want to ask your perspective, yeah. Dr. P about the nutrition. Cause I see Dr. Scott Sigmund and what he's giving. Um, there's a brand of uh, it's almost like a, a protein powder that he gives his patients before um, uh, total knee replacements and other surgeries. And I love that thought process because I took my BFR course with Dr. Trent Nessler and he uh, helped develop the dorsal V, which we use. And we go on about the hydration and nutrition, which we brought on multiple guests on in the podcast to talk about that, um, especially for female athletes, because they're not eating, they're not hydrating. I also can't do the BFR if they're not hydrating. So I, I get them on a um, an electrolyte brand. I use Noon hydration tabs I see a, a huge spark in their energy and their performance in the clinic just getting them to do that. Um, I think there's a lot of barriers on on the side of, of, I don't know what would help heal the ACL. I know Trent was talking about research being done with doing BFR and seeing if that'll help stimulate growth in, in the ACL. I think that's something that we're gonna find out at some point. But then, you know, like, again, what's the dosing of that? You know, what is that? I mean, I start the BFR off, right away. And I mean, I even, they're not obviously able to do, you know, the 3015 or the 3030 regimen, but we can occlude them for anywhere from five to 15 minutes at a time. And, you know, I haven't had any occlusion issues or anything like that. The only side effects I've had was dizziness if they weren't hydrated. And we always checkpoint that, but they'll wear it for certain periods of time and do stuff. And I like to graduate them to double eventually. Um, The creator of Rock Cuff, Chet Paulson was saying some of the research is showing at some point they need to have double occlusion to get there. But Again, the athlete has to be able to tolerate that. Their endurance has to get up. I mean, there's a lot of those factors. But what my envision and what I really try to do in in our clinic is is um the sooner we could build up this foundation, the sooner we could get to the next piece. And we do have some athletes that do have a good foundation. I see it with other sports than some like football players across players. For some reason they have a little bit of a better foundation than the soccer players. And I, I don't know what that is, but they're just naturally stronger, they're more uh, exposed to being underweight and tension, maybe it's the way they train. So yes. you'll see their strength progressions moving up quicker. And once that is there, we can start doing plyometrics. So there are some kids that aren't even at like, they're uh, just still about like uh, 12 to that 16 uh, week mark. And we're already starting to do impact control where I have some females where we're still learning how to lunge properly, you know? And, and it's, I think, if we could provide them to have a medium for them to be able to get more access to practicing these things. And that's the hard part because the thing that Joe and I fight against is we want to get them in the PT, but they want to go to practice. and They want to hang out with the team. And that's really important for the mental aspect and, and for socialization. But I right, let's do it once a week, being there three times a week at practice. It's not helping you sitting on the bench. So I'm really a big proponent of, I know that these kids are growing. They're like sponges. And the more they get exposed to these movements the sooner we can progress, like these checkpoints, you know, we've talked about this with um, Dr. Chris Dodson with Rothman Institute about establishing like checkpoints for movements. And I know one of these continuing ed courses I'm taking with um, it's down at uh, a St. I think it's St. Nichols um, sports uh, pediatric hospital in Florida. And they're talking about checkpoints for kids. What should the lunge look like? What should a squat look like? And that kind of comes down to what Dr. Nessler was uh, talking about with dorsal V. What are the checkpoints that constitute where we should look at here? Just, just as a starting foundation, there's obviously variances of lunges and squats and sports performance, but what's just the basic checkpoint of, of a healthy movement? And then you could do those variances. Um, so I think the sooner we get that, the sooner we could press with the movements. And then if we have better neuromuscular control, that in, in, in turn will protect the graft, right? Because if you have better muscle control of the knee and the, and the, and the joint, you're not going to get the rotational forces and all this other stuff that could compromise it. So that's kind of the thought process that I see as a PT. And then obviously it'd be real exciting to know if there's something that like, yeah, that graft heals. Like, you know, we do this and it heals super quick in like six weeks and then like you could be a little more risky. That'll be awesome. So um, I think after all that being said, from your perspective as a surgeon, what would you say about nutrition point in healing? So a kid just had ACL surgery now it's like that zero to six week mark, we're doing the eval as a PT. And it's like, as a surgeon, what would you say as important to get maximum benefit moving forward?
2: Well, I think, you know, I mean, if you're going to change one thing for all of us, anybody in in life, it's your, you know, your nutrition, it's probably the most important thing, right? That's how you, that's how you feel yourself and kids. It's tough. I think keeping them hydrated is what is a big one for sure. You know, they're on the sodas and all that stuff instead of, even just water, or, you know, they're, they're getting a little bit more into the, uh, you know, the electrolyte, the hydration packs and stuff like that. Cause my daughter is a senior in, in um, high school, and I have two other kids who went through this. And so I think they're getting a little bit more um, into that uh, type of thing. But as far as the nutrition part of things, I would say that's probably one area where it also comes down to like each person's different. So we have a program um, and we use it more for adults. And the problem is, is insurance doesn't cover any of this stuff. Right. So I would do this all in a second. I would have a nutrition program. I would have, I would have it all, everything, all, all encompassed these compassed in one. Know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I would be doing, I'd be doing bone marrow cells on every single ACL uh, PRP laser, uh, nutrition. We, we we have all, we have a lot of this stuff already, you know, we use it, but the parents, they'll pay thousands of dollars for the best equipment for three different AAU teams, whatever, yeah. but they won't pay for nutrition or, uh, you know, That's their PT ran out. They, so it, it's a lot of, none of this stuff's covered by insurance. That's part of the problem, but there are people who are willing to do it. And if they are, I mean, we have a program literally, uh, you know, it's a company we partner with and swab the inside of the mouth goes to the 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 sample goes to um the uh, company and they test the genetics and that that actually i think is is it's been amazing for adults but i think it's going to be amazing for kids too because a lot of kids think oh i can't eat carbs i can't eat carbs they need carbs well most most of them do again the genetic testing sometimes surprises you as to who needs actually what Um, and and what what it also
0: show you how to supplement too and so you're not over supplementing um, or under supplementing
2: you get a 30 page printout and it talks about supplementation it talks about uh, what tolerances they have you know lactose uh, gluten all these different things so all that stuff. can you let us
0: know what that is so we can put that in the show notes
2: yeah, it's called, uh, it's called Activate DNA. Activate DNA. It's a company that we uh, partner with okay. and um, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. It's been amazing for adults. We haven't had as many kids do it. And, and even with the, the bone marrow and the PRP and all those things, it's more the, like the 58 year old woman, They they have the funds to do it. Yep. The parents who don't have the funds perhaps they don't necessarily have the funds to pay the, cause it's thousands of dollars out of pocket to, to do some of this stuff. Um, and that woman who we did it on, who was 58, I mean, she was, she was dancing in Vegas three months after her surgery. She wasn't supposed to be, but she was. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and, and then, you know, I have an MMA guy, he's kicking a, he's kicking a metal post with his shin on his operative leg, you know, within four months after surgery, um, to try to get himself stronger so uh wow. and we did it we did it on him and he's fought since then he's done well uh so we've had a few others uh as well and again it's empiric but i you just know biology is going to kick in but getting better at neural, you know all the neuromuscular tests getting more standardized with all that stuff i mean it's a it's a it's a it's going to be everything cuz even if we even if i put the the bone marrow in there and the and we do the bear and it heals like faster than it would have normally healed if they're still weak they're still prone to tearing it right if they don't have good mechanics if they they you know if they have dynamic valgus if they have all these different things um they don't have good nutrition so it all is one big thing and it's it's a struggle but it it's hard to listen to but it's also comforting to hear that you know like we're not the only one who we're all going through the same thing it's tough it's a challenge but you got to keep fighting and keep the good fight and people are listening little by little and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll turn it around.
1: Well, I mean, we, we see it at, you know, it's all over the place. I mean, you, you know, Dr. James Andrews just put out something. I, I, you know, I reshared it on my social, you know, he's like, you know, the games, the amount of games is too much, the fatigue factor. And we saw that in the NFL. I mean, the biggest thing I'm telling my kids is, well, first we saw the Dan Jones ACL injury. And I explained to them, he wasn't doing anything crazy. He was dropping back into the pocket, but there was a history of neck and concussion. So I'm trying to explain to them why we're doing, you know, neurocognitive type stuff and, and the proprioception. They have to explain to them what that is. And a lot of them, I'm like we have that quick board technology and, you know, they're intimidated by it and they don't like it. I'm like, you don't realize like this is the stuff you need to do. You need to be able to focus on multiple things and trust that your body is going to be where it needs to be in place because that him dropping back into a pocket and just stepping and the ACL went, and, you know, I was crazy. You know, right. and then we saw a lot of other injuries, but even in the Super Bowl, Trey Greenlock just coming off of the the sideline as Achilles pops. And I'm just like, what is going on there? You know, and I've heard a lot of specialists talking about, you know, sometimes these guys, they don't know any better. So maybe, you know, they go and they get a massage like hours before the game that relaxes the body. Then they're going under the lights and it's like two polarizing effects of the central nervous system, stuff like that could happen. But then again. Where's the coach before the big game, getting his guys together, saying, "Where are we at? What's our drills look like 48 hours leading up to?" And then, you know, w- what's going on with your bodies? Like, what are we doing that that stemmed up to the biggest game of the year? Like, there's usually yellow flags going on, you know. Like, I'm working with a a football center now, big dude. He's got some great speed. We just got him back to running, and he got real excited, and he was booking it in the light speed on the assault runner. Next day, his Achilles was sore. And I was like, rightfully so, but he didn't know anything to do about it. I was like, we got to do the soft tissue work. we got to reinforce mobility. So when he gets back to his, you know, two-a-days and all of his drills for the summer, if that happens again, he knows how to self-address and take care of himself. So that doesn't stem up and become like, you know, a blown Achilles or something, right. you know? So, you know, it's really just, you know, the getting them to understand that, you know, you're seeing it at, at a higher level that even these these pro guys that are supposed to be invincible are going down. You know, and uh, what is being done to be on top of that? I mean, I want to ask, you know, what do you guys do over there at Victory as your, you know, return to play? Or do you have different phases of things? Is it not called return to play? Is it like different phases of checkpoints and then, you know, progressions? Because that's kind of how Joe and I kind of space as so I like a return to play. It's more about, you know, return to this phase, return to this phase and then blending back in. You know, what, what do you guys do?
2: Well, I mean, the bear definitely has specific definite uh, phases and, um, I, you know, I don't know if we specifically call it return to play. We have this thing called VFit, Victory Fitness, which is kind of our bridge program after they finish their PT. And most of our, pretty much all our therapists uh, and athletic trainers either have a CSCS or an OCS or something like that as well. Um, so they're very well versed at that next phase. Um, but you know, I, I should, uh, I should have, uh, I should have them come on and, and be on your show as well. Cause I think you'd be fascinated by the the stuff that they're doing. Um, so yeah, I mean, we, I don't know if we have a formal name for it, but, uh, they got to pass the criteria. Otherwise they're not getting, you know, it's more of a just criteria based type stuff. And if they don't pass it, um, then We we don't, I don't, I don't clear them, you know, so, uh, with the bear, I also add in one other thing I'll add in. That's another piece of the puzzle, but it can be used or misused is an MRI too, because I'll get an MRI at nine months and 12 months. And I never did that with an ACL reconstruction. I never needed to, but with the bear, In the studies, they looked at uh, an MRI nine months, 12 months, and 24 months. So I'm just trying to follow that. Also, Mm -hmm. we're part of the bear registry, which we report our results and it goes to a national registry and then they're keeping track of all that. Um, So uh, the MRI piece is kind of interesting because at nine months, I mean, I've seen I've seen ACLs look completely completely normal. Other times, you see, you know, it's filled in, but it's not black. It should be completely black. Shouldn't have any white or gray signal in it. And so, if someone is even twelve months, let's say, and their ACL looks absolutely perfect, but they still, you know, they still they still can't do single leg work. They 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 failed their hop and their wide balance and all this stuff. Then I'm not going to clear them, no matter how good that looks. If they pass all those other tests, but the ACL still looks pretty edematous or not um, not remodeled enough, I might I might uh, it might cause me to hold them back a little bit. Um, So I do use it myself. It's not something that everybody is able to use because sometimes the insurance companies won't pay for it, you know, et cetera. But for bear, it does help me as a surgeon. Also, as another little criteria to make me feel better about clearing them or not clearing them. And if they can see it too, if they can see, let's say it's nine months because they want to get back in their itching and they can see, okay, that ACL looks, you know, you can see it, but it still looks gray. And then here's your PCL and that's your completely black. That's how your ACL needs to look. Then it kind of, they visually see it and it's a little easier to convince them maybe because they might've just kicked butt over in PT uh, with all their, uh, you know, testing and, Uh, and I don't feel they're quite ready yet. You know,
0: I really like the fact that you have everything right there in house like that, that is, that's super convenient. That's actually down here in Tampa, which was happening over at the Tampa sports Academy. Uh, there was a, a group next door of surgeons. Actually, one of the surgeons had founded this, unfortunately last year he had passed the Tampa sports Academy is now since, you know, closed. um, But that's basically, they had physical therapy in there and they had, you know, and I was kind of jumping into, to that space there. Um, But I know you had mentioned earlier about the single leg hop testing and things like that. And, and Mike, Mike and I talk about this a lot. And I, and I post about it a lot, you know, um, talking about that it's an outdated thing, you know, there's, there's better metrics to do that. So what, I know, you, I know that you mentioned that, that you use that, so you, you, you use that, but what other metrics are you using to really say, okay, first off, two-part question, first off, when are they able to get to that? Like, are you using like different metrics to get to the next phase? And then what is, what is, the, what is the overall assessment look like, you know, before that readiness to, to, to play?
2: Well, that, again, those are just two things that my PTs are doing there. We don't have force plates, but we use, they, they use some generic ways to do force plates. And, um, I, I mean, honestly, I rely on their expertise for, you know, most of this, um, and, the, the mental part of it also as well, if they're not mentally ready. I mean, even just asking them a simple question, do you feel ready to just want that question, let alone any type of a battery of tests, which they'll do. I mean, if they say no, then they're not ready, you know? Right. So right. I mean, that's part of it too, is, is the mental part. So there's a whole uh, a, a battery of things that they go through. And, you know, we do these things called rehab rechecks. So, and I learned this with Dr. Andrews. So what we do is, you know, at certain phases, Uh, you know, two weeks, six weeks, three months, four months, six months, nine months, a year and two years. Um, They will come in and they'll go, you know, they'll have, they'll have a a rehab appointment before uh, I see them. And then I will come over to the rehab department and each patient will get presented. And with the whole team there, it might be me, you know, the, um, might be, that it's definitely the PT or the PTA or the and then the athletic trainer. It might be a coach. It might be whoever. But parents, everybody's in there. We're all face to face, and then we go through everything. And I mean, frankly, for me to clear someone, it's not always about the test either. <laughs> you yeah. know, like yeah. I mean, I'll measure their side thigh circumference if they still have an effusion. You know, uh, if they can't do single leg, if they have dynamic valgus, just with a single leg squat, just simple. You know, simple things. I see. Then I go by whatever they tell me. Sometimes it comes down to a gestalt and they're going to, they're going to, most of the time they're going to listen to me because I'm the surgeon. I I do realize that's one advantage I have, Um, but I listen to the whole team and everybody. And if they don't think they're ready, then I'm not going to clear them either. So that's, that's kind of a, a, a a long answer to a short question, but we do have specific criteria that they use. And then I have some specific things I use and then I use the MRI and then I use my own just...
0: Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just like, okay, you know, and I feel like, you know, when it's not the way that you have it, I feel like sometimes it's a little bit like whisper down the lane, right? You're in the office with the parent and a high school athlete. They, You tell them that they are cleared, but these are the stipulations. Well, all they heard was the one word, you're yeah. clear." Right. So now they want to figure out, well, what can I do? And now the parent, which is sometimes misinformed, doesn't know what else to do. And then it's like, okay, well, they go to, you know, a PT and they're like, well, you can go back to the gym and just, you know, kind of put like, okay, well, that's not very specific. And you've kind of given a, uh, a female athlete who potentially has no real experience in a gym, you know, the liberty to be like, okay, you're cleared, you know, go have at it at the gym. And, you know, that, you know, then they come in and that my, my favorite is, well, yeah, I was at the gym that I, I did abs and triceps and I ran on the treadmill and I'm like, okay, so nothing that you needed to actually do, but, exactly. but you've called it exercise because you were there and you did some sweating and, and your, and your abdominals are sore, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's
2: tough. Well, so that's why, like, I was fortunate to go learn with Kevin Wilk and Dr. Mm-hmm. Andrews, So I took that model and, I mean, that's a huge, mo- like, you're right. A lot of orthopedic surgeons um, or employed hospital orthopedic surgeons, they don't have that um, luxury. So they see the patient and they say, you're clear, but you still got to do this with your PT and that. They don't even call the PT a lot of times. They don't, so it's, I, a, it's hard for you guys, but it, it's hard for them as well. I just set my practice up a long time ago to not mm-hmm. have that be a problem. And even then it can still be a problem, but most of the time our in-house, everybody, the the people who are working in-house do so much better than the people who are going outside or we, with COVID, we ha- had a lot of one good thing about COVID. There's always a couple of th- good things that come out of bad things. I think, um, for me, it was two things: one, telemedicine, and the other was I started doing all my. I couldn't do knee replacements anymore, which I've now stopped doing, and I combined all the biologic and the laser and the, all the the V fit and everything together into one thing to try to and, and getting patients better without needing knee replacement. That's a whole different podcast, but as far as um, as, as far as uh, the the patients go who are remote now or they're coming from because they're that wasn't in the beginning it wasn't available anywhere so i got people from i still get people from canada we got people from europe you get people from all over the us florida so now how do you rehab those people and keep control over them well video visits like this and like we have a woman in uh, belgium she's a doc she came over she (laughs) they didn't they, they she had an mcl complete tear and an acl tear and they repaired her mcl in belgium they didn't have the bear, she wanted the bear. She came and saw me and she was pretty stiff like a couple of weeks after her MCL. We tried to get as much motion as we could to get back, but we knew it was gonna be a challenge. I did the bear, she stayed for a couple of weeks, then she left. And so what we'll do is you're like, my PT will literally be on uh, a, a visit like this with her PT, who's great over there and run through the whole thing. And then I'll come in and we'll do the the rehab recheck. So if we can do that, that's not as good, but it's still pretty darn good. If we lose control we have no control over people, that's the hardest the hardest thing of all. And then you get into the situations you're talking about.
1: Yeah, I, I think the real exciting thing is just being on this uh, path of the biological healing and looking at these new advancements that could be happening. And when every, like you said, every negative or positive comes, we're in this major epidemic of these injuries happening, so it's almost like surgeons like yourself are coming together to find out right, well, how do we improve this but really the ultimate goal is almost kind of trying, how do we prevent this, but it's here yeah. and we're, we're getting surrounded by it. I mean, it's coming in yep. waves. So what can we yep. do to make it better? And, and um, you know, even for those that even if they had everything right, there's always traumatic, you know, things that happen in these ligaments tears. So what are better ways to, to right. do this? And again, this is, um, this is the exciting part about it. Being able to talk about the surgical and the rehab side, and what everyone's doing, because there are a lot of places that unfortunately are still operating at a 1990 perspective, they're doing stuff. I mean, unfortunately, the profession of PT is, is saturated with that. It's just mundane, same stuff. You know, I've had surgeons pull um, athletes out of other clinics and having to send them because I don't I don't know what they're doing in there. It's probably almost nothing, unfortunately you know, and it doesn't look good for the profession, but, you know, this is, the clock's ticking for these kids, and, you know, the time is important, so let's not waste time, so how do we become very effective at what we're doing, um, and I think just for the community and people to hear multiple disciplines come together and being able to say the same thing, Um I think the more they hear it, hopefully, like you said, it will start to take, because, like you said, we do have a lot of people that um, are willing to listen. I have a lot more parents, I think, recently that, are less on that. I'm gonna push my my kid because we want that scholarship, all that stuff more than I just want my kid to be happy and healthy. Because they're so surrounded by it, their friend goes down, the neighbor goes down, their their sister tore it, or you know this, and they're just or they're on their second tear and they're like, I'm just tired of this. It's, it's taking a toll. I mean, Joe and I co-treated an athlete. I mean, the injury ravaged the whole family dynamic, the depression through the household and everything. You know, it's just hard, yeah. especially mm-hmm. with all the hormones and stuff going on mm-hmm. with a teenage boy, and then all this, it's just, um, it takes a lot. And that's what we have to look at is like the mental aspect of what these kids are going through. Like, I know you don't want to be here, but like, we'll just have to be the positive of just building you up and, and setting you up for a solid future, you know?
2: Yeah. And you, you, you also kind of, we didn't talk about it at all, but you absolutely hit the nail on the head. Like most of these are preventable. 50 to 75% of these injuries are probably preventable. Uh, if you look at sports metrics and we, 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 got on board with sports metrics like a long, long time ago. I had my whole staff trained on it and I thought it was going to be the greatest thing ever. This was like when it first came out. And, um, we, we tried to get, it's so hard to get people to realize like to come in and try to do a program and prevent an ACL injury. Like they just don't want to do it, you know, like then you tell them, okay, well, listen, it also, you go through the program, and your 40 yard dash increases, and your vertical increases. And then they get a little more interested. Okay, it's going to performance enhance as well. So that's kind of the angle to take. But we we ran that program with my old my older kids because my older kids, one of my daughters is a, a DPT. She's a, went to Northeastern. She's in Boston, awesome. and um, she's awesome. And uh, and her whole like uh, she's she she's uh, in with some really good uh, people um and uh, my son um is uh in boston also he's an attorney there but they went through sports and everything and every single kid that we treated um none of them ever tore their acl which is amazing like none of them that we put through the program probably i don't know 100 and something and then COVID hit we didn't run it for a while and then we i think we've only run it once since then but it's hard to get people to come in to do that type of thing And it's, we do something even maybe, you know, some stuff that's even a little bit more advanced than sports metrics. And I'm sure you guys do as well. But point being like 50 to 75% of these non-contact injuries are preventable and definitely is not getting out there.
0: That was the conversation we had last week with with, uh, Erica. And, you know, it's, you know, two times a week is like your bare minimum right I mean like yeah. two times a week is still yeah. like not really even like scratching really yeah. the surface you know and, sure. and and okay I understand that you know maybe you're playing you know you're in season well guess what there's still we're not asking for a 90 minute strength training session we can be done in 20 minutes go in hit what you need to hit yeah. you know and, and then move on you know it doesn't even have to be that much and and that's Mike is kind of starting to spearhead that up in PA now, where he's realizing if I can get these, I mean, we have, there's a massive high school across the street. If you can get these kids to come in for 15, 20 minutes, get the CNS going, you know, and, 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 and firing up, you know, like go in and and bang out a couple sets, like just to, to get that, that stimulation going, you know? Um, So um, like Mike said, you know, what's great about it, every surgeon that we've had on, everybody speaks the same language so again it doesn't look like Mike and I are, are just pulling things arbitrarily out of the air going no 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 this is the way it's supposed to be and you know yeah. we're getting oh. our information from the surgeons from the top you know you're the one yeah. in there you know so we really do appreciate your time
2: well good I hope that uh, that it helps I know it's gonna I'll, I'll, I know it's gonna help my patients to watch this and I hope it helps your patients and let's just keep keep spreading the word, but yeah, prevention is actually the most important thing by far out of all this whole thing. Bear sounds great, but better off preventing it. Let's, prevent them. It, yep. you
0: know? Let's prevent them, you know, at, at start the to top. So strength training, strength training, strength training.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what Mike Boyle said on his podcast. He said they did this program where a lot of these d D1... one. Schools and the ACL tear significantly decrease. It's just it's, good, it's just good training, and it's Absolutely. it's part of it. And I think the grip of the organized sport and like Erica said, it's like every day is almost like a wedding day. It's game, 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 go time, go time, go time, and the, your human body's not meant to perform like that. It's just you have to have time. It's almost like what Europe does. It's it's the other way. It's more practices than a game. But yeah. because just we're so inundated with that that it's hard for these parents to even find time to get them in. But then it's like you want to cut out that that third club or that winter club, but then they get the pressure from the coaches where you're not going to get seen, you won't get playing time. And we know it, it, it's a racket and somehow yeah. we have to break that wall down because even we asked Erica that when you look at like you know we talked about you know how does you know ACL tears happen on, on Arsenal's team. And she's saying, well, we have sports scientists telling them the right stuff. It's just no one's really listening, you know, uh, right. you know, you got to get them to listen. So the information's there, but if we could continue to somehow show the the success stories and, and show the the results and people see that, then they're going to be like, all right, I, I see this is working. We got to start doing that. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, we, we love the, you know, we're going to share this on all of our outlets as always, you know, I yeah. send these to parents, we try to send this to coaches that are willing to listen, but really just the community Good. to help educate and understand. And yeah, we'd love you to, you know, listen, have your, you know, your patients listen to this and whoever else. This is we do this to help. I mean, this is free education. We want to help people because it's only going to make things better. So
2: no
0: doubt that, about it. Dr. Um, P, where where can people find you?
2: Yeah, either victorysportsmedicine.com or victoryinmotion.com. Uh and uh yeah, our phone number is three one five. 685-7544 also info at victory com. so any of those things oh actually we even have a bear at victory com. so if people are interested in bear they can they can contact us any of those ways um and then all kinds of social media there's a lot of youtube victory sports medicine youtube instagram facebook tiktok um awesome. linkedin so
0: it's everywhere like we are mike that's yeah, great you I, have, that's what yeah. you, that's what you have to do yeah exactly get that awareness out there Mike where can they find you
1: uh I mean mostly for all this professional stuff you know LinkedIn do you see a lot of that you know uh Dr. Yeah, you P do a great knows. job with those, and those and videos. A lot of stuff yeah I just love networking and sharing ideas and things and then um you know we'll post stuff on Facebook uh we'll share that in the parents of ACL group um I mean you can probably even check that out Dr P, or tell your pts a little bit it's like a global group and uh, parents of ACL group we have our our group the uh, ACL return the play academy that Joe created and again it's a great place to just drop information share questions or things like that like you're we were asking questions on are you guys ever noticing any improvements in certain things sometimes as we'll just share some hey look at what we're doing here got some good results here um that's that's the good thing for for these groups and you know we'll share that and then mm-hmm. um yeah I'm looking to get my clinic to make an instagram page so we can start um sharing some more stuff with the community there and you know some of our athletes so do uh,
2: awesome. are you on youtube mike
1: yeah all this stuff goes on youtube yeah. and actually yeah. all the exercise videos that we use are, are on youtube because i'll send that to patients yep. you know and then uh moving forward like joe uses an app to train his patients, so all the videos stream off of the app so everything is there so patients could always have access to all those playlists squat yep. patterns plyometrics power and then yep. they yep. can see that the form the technique the visual cues Um, So we have all that on there, you know, and that's some of like our assessment videos, like the ones that I posted about, like hip flexor assessment, hip abduction, some of those to all be on YouTube. So people have a reference.
2: Yeah, we're going to be,
0: you've done a great job with that, Mike. And like, literally like within the last six months, you got like 400 videos up there, extremely informative, you know, and then even with the, with the LinkedIn and, and like Dr. P was saying, like. That's what LinkedIn is for. Like, it's to really to to provide value with the posts that you're putting up there. That's the difference between LinkedIn and a, and a, you know Facebook and Instagram and things yeah. like that. There's professionals on there, and they want to see how you're explaining these things, and you know, and, and the, the the comments that you're getting on it, you know, like and and the K-Record in itself is just a piece that no one's really seen. So I think that that's you know an an eye opener. And then what you can do if you don't have that that
1: tool, you know? So yeah. Dr. P, you're going to say something you're trying to do. No, to
2: say, we're going to, we have a uh, similar, uh, the whole bear rehab post-op, um, on, uh, bridge app that we're going to, so we're going to be releasing that soon enough as well. So that'll be out getting out there. And cause a lot of PTs don't necessarily know how to rehab a bear at this yep. point. So yep. we got videos and all kinds of stuff on that. So that would be
0: fantastic coming out soon. Well, we're definitely going to have you back on again, um, you know, because yeah, this you. is this is great stuff. Uh, once again, thank you for you know taking time on a Friday afternoon. And um, while we're on here, real funny, uh, I'm getting text from Frontier that my flight has already been delayed. Uh. <laughs> yeah,
1: some snow coming
0: tonight. Um, yeah, so I don't know. We might not be making it in. So, but listen, you can find me at CoachHaas.com and then there's. If you just put in Coach H-O-S, Instagram, YouTube, LinkedIn, I'm all over the place, uh, just like Dr. P and Mike. Uh, Once again, thank you for a great Friday afternoon of knowledge, Dr. P.
1: Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Mike. Mike, Mike, talk to you soon. All right. See you guys. All right. right. Bye-bye.